Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name.
worship His holy name. plan on coming tonight to hear uh, Cindy Brazil as she leads us in our marriage series this Sunday night from 6 to 7.30 and the next Sunday night as well. As a matter of fact, I'm, I think I'm just going to go ahead and teach it since I know a whole lot about marriage and so men, you will especially want to be here because I'm going to have lots of words of wisdom for you. And so that will be tonight, 6 o'clock. It'll be great. I've known Sandy for, gosh, I mean just for a number of years and anytime people are looking for somebody to talk to, we usually recommend several different counselors, and she's one of my favorites, so I hope that she'll come. She'll do a great job tonight. Uh, but if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse number 31. We're just going to look at, at one verse today, and uh, you'll notice that the message is entitled, It's All About Me. Uh, there was a famous conductor named Leonard Bernstein, and he was asked, what is the most difficult instrument to play in your orchestra? And without, he without any hesitation, he said it's second chair. He said it's the most difficult one to fill. And here's what he had to say. He said, I can always get plenty of first violinists, but to find one who plays second violin with, with, with as much enthusiasm or second French horn or second flute, now that's a problem. And yet if no one plays second, he said, we will never have harmony. And I really think this is a, a great picture where a lot of us are in life right now. We, we have way too many people, me included, who are looking always to be first chair in life. And uh, I think this is, as we continue our series, uh, we're talking about lie to me, some of the lies Satan tells us, is Satan tells us over and over again, all throughout life, that this life, everything in life, revolves around you. I mean, if, if you're not happy, then there's something wrong with the world. If, if things are not going your way, then that means that things aren't right. And yet, whenever I look in Scripture, what I discover is that life is not about me. That's shocking. You know, I always thought it was. And yet, life, though, is not about you either. So the question is, well, then who's life about? You know, what is the purpose of, of why we are here? And whenever I look into Scripture, one thing that I discover is that life is about our Creator, the one who made us. And we're told this in Colossians 1, 15 and 16 about Jesus. It says, He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Because by Him everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. So what does that mean? And life ain't about you. And this is a lie that Satan's been telling us forever that it's supposed to be about us. Because until we acknowledge this fact that life is about our God, not about us, guys, we're never going to experience harmony in life. We have to allow God to play first chair in our lives, and we play second chair, if we're going to discover peace and harmony in life. And so today in our scripture, we're going to see the Apostle Paul, excuse me, we're going to see the Apostle Paul teaching the Corinthian church that life wasn't about them. And this was, this was shocking news to them. 
Uh, if, you be, if you look in a little background information about the city of Corinth, what you'll discover is it was a, very, it was a pagan town big time. I mean, they had, a, they had a religious temple there, a pagan temple there. Had, everything was geared towards their own pleasure. And then Paul comes along, and he gives them this real popular message. That life's not about you. And it's not like it was real well-received or anything, but he wanted them to know that life was not about fulfilling your own desires. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, man, that's, that's who we are today. You know, so, so much of the time we think that everything in life is just about us. And so I'm, I want us to see or have a few takeaways from this one verse that we're going to look at today in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 31. And Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church because they were just a messed up group of people. Uh, one of my favorite, some of my favorite books to read in the New Testament are 1 and 2 Corinthians because it gives me hope. I mean, I like reading about people who are messed up because I can look at them and think, I'm not that screwed up, but this is a great book. These people, it's a church, they were messed up, they were fighting with each other. Uh, Paul said this about this church. 1 Corinthians 11, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. That's a church. And I sit there and look at that and I think, man, we're doing better than them. So I'm happy about that. But that's not a very good advertisement. So what was the problem that was going on? Well, they were looking at life as though it all revolved around them. And Paul wanted them to be reminded that, you know what, as, as believers... As followers of Jesus, yeah, we represent Jesus. Not just on Sunday. We represent Jesus all throughout the week. Uh, we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. All right, so what are we going to do today? just want us to take away three things from this one verse. very first thing I want us to take away from our verse today is your primary purpose the primary purpose of man is to glorify God. If you've ever wondered why you're here, it's not, you're not here because you are going to be a great blessing to everybody, which might be true, but that's not your main purpose. Your purpose is to glorify God. Verse number 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Isn't that interesting? Everything that you do is to be done to honor God. This is found in other scriptures in the Bible too. I mean, in Colossians 3.21 it says, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now just, th I mean, just think about that for a minute. Your life is not to be lived for you, it's to be lived for God. And that should change everything about you. Everything that you do is to bring glory to God. Which means that I'm going to step aside and say, God, not, I'm not doing this for my glory. God, I want to do this for your glory. Now listen, I, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. Isn't that incredible? As young as I look. I mean, I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. And I still struggle with this. Because just being honest with you, most of the time, I think life revolves around me. Isn't that awful? I mean, most of the time, I think, you know what? Everybody should do what I tell them to do. Um, everybody should 
do whatever they can in order to please me and to make me happy. Are you listening, Emily? I just really, I really believe that. But you know, whenever I look into Scripture, I'm like getting hit in the side of the head with a two-by-four. And I'm reminded, this life is not about me. And yet I make all kinds of excuses as why it should be. I'm a pretty nice guy. You know, I, I, try to, I try to provide so everybody should try to make me happy. I'm trying to do all these things for everybody else. And so this, this life, it's about me. And that sounds good, but then I read the Bible. And I'm like, oh, dead gummit. This life isn't about me. Who am I? I'm just a creation of God. Jeremiah the prophet, really, he wrote a convicting passage of Scripture that just, just nailed me between the eyes. Uh, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He said, go down to the potter's house, and there I'll give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, saw a potter working at the wheel, but the pot he was shaping from the clay, it was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and he said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. That, that verse has convicted me. Whenever I think about those verses, here's the question. Does the clay determine what kind of instrument it's going to be? You know, does the clay say, you know what, I, I'm going to be a pitcher. You know, I'm going to be the most beautiful pitcher that there is. Like, of course not. That'd be absurd. Who determines what that clay is going to actually become? Y'all get to participate. The potter, right? The potter shapes it. He determines what it's going to be, not the clay. Now that makes sense to us, but then you have to remember, you're the clay, I'm the clay. So we don't get to determine what we're going to be. Who does? The one who made us. God. So then the big question, well then what am I made for? What is, my, what is my purpose? Here's your prayer. If you've been wondering, it's a big question. We have all these books out there. What is my purpose? I, I, I'm here to tell you today what it is. You know what it is? Your purpose is to honor God. God made you to bring Him glory. Now you might say, well, how do I do that? That's the other question. That's another easy answer. You're obedient to what God says in Scripture. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, he said, you will keep my commandments. Now that was a tough pill for the Corinthians to swallow. These people, they, they didn't want to follow anybody like many, like many of us. They were smart. Corinth is, was located in, it's in modern day Greece. During this time, one of the major philosophies going on was Epicureanism. Y'all heard of that before? Have you heard of that before? Uh, Epicureanism was a philosophy that basically said life is to be lived for pleasure. In other words, life is all about you. And then Paul comes along and says, no, it's not. Now, Corinth was buying into this philosophy. It was a party town. I mean, it was a wild place. As a matter of fact, back during this time, if you were, were kind of wild, people would look at you and they'd say, that guy right there, he's a Corinthian. In other words, this guy is crazy. This guy is wild. And there were many people in the church who were saying, we live for God. They did good on Sunday. But then Monday through Saturday, they were Corinthians. 
Monday through Saturday, they were living for self. And that's why Paul was saying, understand, it's not just Sundays that you live for God. You have completely been created to honor God. And he said, why should I do that? You know, why would I want to do that? I mean, it's my life, right? It's me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I understand that, that type of thinking. I mean, I don't really, when somebody starts telling me what to do, my first, my first thought is not, oh, well, you know what, you might be right. My first, it can be great advice. My first thought is, who do you think you are? And yet I look into Scripture, and I say, this life's not, it's not about me. And so well, then, why don't I have a right to choose how I'm going to live? If you're a follower of Jesus, let me just share with you two basic reasons why. One, if you follow self, when you follow self and live to your own pleasures and desires, and I've learned this, it's empty. It doesn't lead to life. I mean, it can be fun for a while, but eventually it's empty. Second reason why is if you're a follower of Jesus, you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God, or glorify God, in your body. Jesus, if you're a Christian, Jesus has paid for you. You understand that? Jesus went to the cross and died for you. And because he now has bought you, that means you belong to him. I think we kind of know that, but I think there's another side of us that thinks, well, what if I decide to follow after Jesus and live for him, but what if his ways aren't best? And I think we kind of get this idea because we've looked at other people who are, who are very spiritual, or we think they're very spiritual, and we look at them and we think, they don't seem like much fun. You know, they don't seem very happy. They seem very stringent, and there's not much joy in their life. And I, and I look at people who say that they are followers of God, and I, they kind of scare me. And I'd like to think that, that, being, that being a living life is kind of happy. Well, whenever I look into Scripture, the picture that's painted of somebody who follows Jesus is not somebody who looks like they've been sucking on lemons all day. A person who is a follower of Jesus, when I look into Scripture, it's a person who has joy. It's a person who has life. It's a person who has, who has purpose and who has hope in their life. I mean, Proverbs 12, 28 says, There is life in the path of righteousness. But another path leads to death. Jesus, Jesus said, said in John, John 10, 10, 10, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He said, I haven't come so that you might look miserable. He said, I've come that you might have life. Now, guys, let me tell you something. When life is all about you, then that means that life is all up to you. And if it's all up to you, we're in trouble. Because what I've discovered is that when I'm trying to be in charge, y'all, I am very limited in who I am and what I can do. And so Jesus says, don't put all your marbles in yourself. Trust in me. We have a, at our, it's actually not at our house right now, but we have, we have a pond boat. Highly recommend those. Uh, we have a little pond boat. It's made out of plastic. Now, it gets the job done. And uh, so it's, it's kind of it's fun to, to be in. The only problem with it is it's made out of plastic. And so if you're ever on the water and the wind's blowing like three miles an hour, it's hard to come. I mean, you're just getting, you get blown all over the place. Now, if, if you're going to be in that pond boat, you want to, if you want to stay in the same place, if you want to hold steady, you got to have an anchor, right? And you throw that anchor out, and that anchor will hold you in place even though the wind might be blowing. That is what God is telling us today. 
So the, this life has a lot of wind, a lot of turbulence and trouble. So you, you don't want to place your hope in yourself because you're going to get blown all over the place. So what you want to do is you want to put your anchor in Jesus. And he will hold you steady. Hebrews 6.19 speaks of Jesus as an anchor when it says we have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. That is what I want to take away from this verse, one verse, is your purpose is to glorify God. It's your purpose. Now the second thing I want you to take away is that there's, there's an importance that comes with fulfilling your primary purpose. It's very important that you fulfill this purpose to glorify God. Uh, again, in verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. The way you live is extremely important. Because everything that you do reflects back on the God that you serve. Okay, everything that you do points back to Jesus. Everything does. And this was a lesson that the church in Corinth needed to learn. Uh, but Paul already said, he said, when you guys get together, I mean, as a church, he goes, you guys are fighting all the time. Nobody's real excited about following after God where his people come together and they just want to argue all the time. I, I love the book of 1 Corinthians because as you look at 1 Corinthians, it, you, if you want to feel good about yourself, read 1 Corinthians. These people were messed up. I mean, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul gets on to him. He says, you guys are so immature. Chapter 4, he says, you guys are arrogant. Uh, chapter 5, he says, you have a guy in your church who's, who's having an affair with his stepmother, a totally, a totally messed up church. He, then he gets to chapter 10. And even though they have all these problems, he says, but God has given you freedom. God can redeem you from all these hang-ups that you have in your life. Now, just as a little, little context in our text, he says this. He says, in everything you do, whether you're eating or drinking, do everything to glorify God. Now, y'all, this is, I'm stepping away a little bit here from the lesson. I just think this is, I love history and a little background information. So you pay attention to me if you want. If not, you're really missing out. Uh, but the reason why he mentioned eating and drinking is because in Corinth, they had this big temple there, and they sacrificed to pagan gods, right? So they sacrificed animals. And so sometimes they'd have leftover meat. And so because they were very, you know, I guess capitalistic, they would take this extra meat, and they'd go to the market, and they'd put it on sale. This is true. So they'd have meat that had been sacrificed to other gods. It was, it was like the blue light special. You know, it was at Walmart or Kmart. And so, you know, the meat's normally expensive, but we got some cheap meat over here because we sacrificed it at the temple, so it's a couple days old, so you don't come get it. Okay, so I'm like all over that. It's cheap meat. I'm going to be there. Now, here's the question. If you're a follower of Jesus, people would say, can Christians eat meat that's been sacrificed to a, to a foreign god? And, and Paul said, well, it, it, it depends. And it depends. One, he says, you know, if, if you go get it, God made everything. There's no such thing as another god except for the one true god. And so he said, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and eat it. Who cares? He said, but if somebody, you know, is asking, is it, is it okay for you to eat this meat? So somebody starts questioning it. He says, just stay away from it. He says, even though you have freedom, stay away from it. Why? Because you don't want that person to stumble. You don't want them to think, well, gosh, I can't believe they're actually eating that, that meat. Y'all, am I making sense here? If I'm not, just, I just act like I am anyway, because we're, we're kind of moving to the end. So anyway, so this meat's it's all for sale. So he says, hey, but whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. But you don't want to cause anybody to stumble. Now, now why, why not? It's, if, if I'm self-centered, I say, it's my life, I can do whatever I want to. Well, because you, you no longer belong to you, you now belong to God. And God loves people. And God wants people to know him. 
And so that's why it's so important that we live to glorify God so that when people look at our lives, that they see Jesus. Because, y'all, we live in a world where people need Jesus. And they need to see you living for him so that they will be attracted to this Jesus. The question is, how are you living? You just living for Jesus on Sunday? If you, I mean, that's a good start. But there's, another, there's another six days. You guys, there is a world that is dying and going to hell because they don't know the Jesus who redeems. Now, what can we take away from our, our text? The first thing is that the primary purpose of man is to glorify God. Secondly, I want you to see the importance of fulfilling your purpose, which is to glorify Him. Now, that's the last thing I want you to see. The final thing I want you to take from this text is that there are blessings that come when you fulfill your purpose. There are blessings that will come into your life when you live in a way to glorify God. Verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Do everything for His glory. As you do that, man, there's some great blessings that come. Let me try to kind of give you an example of this. Albert Einstein obviously was a brilliant man, but he was known as being a little absent-minded. And he would always take the, he would take the train home every day from his job at, at Princeton University. And there was a time when he got on the train, and as he was riding home, the conductor's coming around, you know, collecting tickets for everybody. And so the conductor's coming around, and he looks over, and he notices that Einstein is just, I mean, he is pulling his pockets out, everything, and it's obvious he's searching for his ticket, and he can't find it. And so the conductor walks over to him, and he's collecting the ticket, and he said, Mr. Einstein. And he's, Einstein's looking at him, he's got his coat, you know, reaching his pockets. He said, yeah. He said, don't worry about it. He said, I, I, I know who you are. Don't worry about it. He said, you don't have to give me your ticket. He said, I know who I am too. He said, I just don't know where I'm going. Now, guys, it's great to know who you are, but it's really a little discombobulating if you don't know where you're going. Now, I think there are some people, we have an idea of who we know. We know our name. We know what we like. But, man, we are very confused in this life because we don't know where we're going. You ever been in that situation before? Where, you know, you're in your car. You have a general idea, but you're not real sure where you're going. Um, I, I see this all the time. Uh, especially on, we live over in Long Creek, and you know the Long Creek Loop. If, ever, if you live over in that area, you've driven down that road, you'll know when you have somebody there who's in front of you driving who's not living, who doesn't live over there. Why is that? Because they drive like 12 miles an hour. And just to let y'all know, it is 40. It's 40 miles an hour. And if you're not driving 40, I'm going to let you know. I'm going to get behind you. I'm going to be like the Holy Spirit. Say, speed up. And so the people that don't know where they're going, they just sort of creep around, and you can tell they're not sure which street they're supposed to turn on. And so every dead gum street, what do they do? They stop, and they look, and then they, you know, they, they lurch along, and they come to the next road, and they stop, and inevitably, it's always like the last road that they're supposed to turn on. So like 50 streets, and I'm behind them praying for them that God will go ahead and take them on home real soon. And so anyway, so it's, it's real frustrating. Now, what's nice? What's nice is when you know where you're going. What's nice is when I mean, you just, it's, a, it's a much smoother ride. You're just driving around and say, I know where I'm supposed to turn. There's a lot of these different streets that can be tempting to look at, but I don't have to look at them. Why? 
Because I know that, that, that that's not a part of my mission. I'm going right where I need to go, and then I get to that road, and then I turn. It's a smooth ride. The same idea is true in life. When you know where you're going, when you know your purpose, the ride's a whole lot smoother. The ride's a whole lot easier. And, and you can confidently make decisions in where to go, how to live, what to do, when you know what your mission is. What's our mission? Our mission is to glorify God. And when you know your mission, it also simplifies your life. Knowing your purpose is like a litmus test for every decision you make. Where you ask the question, okay, I have this decision before me, but if I make this decision, will this decision bring glory to God? You know, not will it make me happy. I like to be happy. That's not my mission. It's not my purpose. The question is, will it bring glory to God? See, everything that we do is to bring glory to Him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, y'all, we all know this. We know we live in a complicated world. We know that there's so much information out there, and it's hard to tell what's true anymore. I mean, there's so much stuff that comes in, and we don't know which end is up. But if you know your purpose... You don't have to worry about all this stuff. If you know why you are living, which is to glorify God, all the winds of this life will not blow you around. When you know your purpose, you're able to navigate through the traffic of this life. Knowing that Jesus is first chair, you're second chair, and what do you find? You will find harmony. Remember this, this life's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And he has every right to say it's about him. Because he created us. Because he is the maker of this world. And he has bought you at a price. Now some things I want you to take away. First thing, your purpose is to glorify God. It is important that you fulfill your purpose. And when you do, you will find the blessings of God. Now, I really believe this. I believe there's a lot of people who live life with a lot of uncertainty, who are nervous all the time. Why? Because they don't know their purpose. They don't know their mission. Guys, my encouragement for you is to know your mission, to know why you're here. It's to honor God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul.